Coming at you live from the KTSW studios in San Marcos, Texas, this is Bobcat Radio. Good morning. Happy Friday. Welcome back to Bobcat Radio. We hope you have had the greatest of summers, but welcome back to campus. Welcome back to the show. My name is Jacob Aromi. I am joined here with my producer, Joey Gonzalez, and my two co-hosts, Kyle Owen and Jordan Young. And we got an exciting hour-long special show for you today. Boys, how are y'all doing? How were your summers, you know, go around? Long, stressful, building the new news department here at KTSW. So that's what I've been up to this summer. Just looking forward to the upcoming year and excited to share the room with y'all today. Yeah, excited to get back into the swing of things here at Texas State and uh, just uh, looking for things to kind of get back into into the groove, you know what I mean? I know what you mean, I know what you mean. In about a half an hour, we will have Marvin Nash, the co-offensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator of San Marcos High School football, to talk about their upcoming season. But before that, we have a good amount of time to go over some Texas State soccer from the game last night, as well as some uh, NFL off-seasons. But before we do all that, let's throw it to Kyle for a word from our sponsors. Twin Peaks Restaurant and Sports Bar is a sponsor of this broadcast of Bobcat Radio. Located on the northbound frontage road of I-35 at Guadalupe Street in San Marcos, Texas, Twin Peaks has bites, wings, burgers, sandwiches, and more. Info and menu at TwinPeaksRestaurant.com. Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. So last night, Texas State kind of fall sports got kicked off with a little bit of Texas State soccer. The Steve Holman era has officially begun, and it began in a in a one to nothing win over St. Mary's. Uh, Joey, you were at the game. Tell us a little bit about uh, you know what you saw there. Well, Texas State St. Mary's final score was Texas State won one nil, and um, probably the main storyline was Texas State had twenty eight shots, nine on goal, compared to St. Mary's. One shot, zero on goal, and the leading um, shot totals came from Bailey Peschel with four of her own. And the first goal didn't come until the second half with about 10 minutes left to go in the game. So Texas State uh, struggled to go offensively, but a positive thing to see was the first goal of the Coach Holman era. Yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, Bailey Peschel and, and how she was able to get four shots, two on goal. I mean, and then you look around and there's five other girls on that team that were able to put up three shots and like if you're thinking about that I know the only one hit the back of the net but at the end of the day getting that many feet on balls towards the net it's absolutely huge and especially uh just kind of getting things started out especially with the Holloman era getting that first goal like you said huge huge step up and uh all you got to do is just get more comfortable and and uh hopefully see more balls in the back of net more often we know in the game of soccer, it is harder to score um, and you goals come less often than in, in most sports like football, where you get to the lot of scoring, obviously basketball. Um, so when you see your team scoring like the, the 86th, 87th minute, to me, that shows some type of courage and integrity in your team showing that they're not going to quit. They're going to always keep reaching for that goals because obviously in soccer, you rather get those three points and that's half points when you get a tie or it ends nil nil. So. That, that was really good, something that I saw from the team. And especially something that probably is going to come with Steve Holman coming to Texas State because, mm-hmm. as we all know, 
Coach Holman is a winner. He has won everywhere he went, and he started winning last night for Texas State, so it was a good beginning to the era. And I really think that, you know, they, they kind of got the hard part down when it comes to looking at last night. You got the ball uh, across the pitch, and you got a chance to put the ball in the net. It's just that one little point of actually getting it past that goalkeeper. But uh, I think I think that's kind of the one of the easier parts before, you know, actually being able to get on that attack so efficiently. But, I mean, I've really liked what I've heard from Coach Holman. You know, you ask him a couple times about, hey, what do, you, what do you think about, you know, goals for this season? And he says, you know, we can't control what we can't control, so we don't focus on that. We focus on what we can control, and that is our attitude. That is how hard we play. And it's just, it's, you know, with Cat Connor leaving last season, uh, you know, being such, you know, being the coach here for ever since the program started for Texas State women's soccer, it was really, you know, for the first time, like kind of like lost kind of where where would the program go? But I think they got a, a really, really good, uh, a, a good coach. And uh, Steve Holman. Yeah, not only did they lose Cat Connor, but the entire coaching staff was um, revamped. They brought mm-hmm. in Coach Holman along with uh, two additional coaches. So this is this is a team who is basically creating a new identity for themselves. And um, one of the first practices I went to, I got a chance to talk to Coach Holman, and he said this is a um, this is a team who's who's starting to to gel together and they're feeling really confident. And um, I asked what the Texas State fans should expect, and he said uh, a new identity. Really, I mean, this is a team that is going to be is going to be new to fans that that are familiar with this team. And on top of that, um, a new goalie, Beth Agee, was not in goal uh, last night. Uh, Caitlin Chrisman was in the goal for the Bobcats. She played all 90 minutes, and I mean, she faced that one shot, but. It should be interesting to see. As of right now, the the goalie position is up for grabs at the moment. Yeah, and I mean, from what I remember last year, it was it was pretty. I mean, they kind of traded off one one game for another. I mean, I obviously Beth Agee was was the uh, the main starter there, but um, from from my recollection of of how things went last year, I, there was a there was a lot of change up in 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 the uh, in the goalkeeper position, especially at the end of the season. I remember having Chrisman in there um, a lot during a Simbo conference play, especially when it was wrapping up. And another point I really want to make on this soccer team is just an overall statement that can be said about the Texas State athletic program since Don Coriel has came in. He said he was going to come in here and he was going to make changes to try to make Texas State um, athletics known across the state and the country. And I think he's done that, bringing in a top-level soccer coach. Um, Obviously, he didn't bring in Steve Trout, but Steve Trout and the baseball team had their best year ever underneath his leadership, and he did sign him to a five-year deal. Um, with the football team, they are bringing in um, new uh, transfers and revamping the football program over there after he said that he really wanted to make sure that Tech State had a good football team and something for the school to be proud of. So I would just want to say shout out to Doran Coriel and the AD's department because they have really done a nice job at revitalizing um, Tech State athletics, and that's across the board. No, definitely. And you, you talk about football, and we all know it's elephant in the room. It's the only uh, sport not performing currently at Texas State. But actually what I found to be very interesting is, you know, last season there was a lot of heat on Twitter for Don Coriel not having his, his Twitter up to kind of talk to fans and kind of be open about the struggles that the football team was going through. But uh, Athletics on one of their podcasts, Coriel's actually going on and people can send in questions, which is new for the first time since he's taken over that that athletic director position. So I, I think that this is going to be a step towards actually, you know, really connecting with the fans and really trying to, I mean, they're already trying to turn around the, the football 
you know, program with the new weight rooms trying to be installed and everything. But um, like you said, props to Don Coriel, who was at the game last night in attendance with, you know, it was a pretty, pretty packed house. I mean, a lot of people showed up for it, which is always good. And um, but in attendance with them is new president Kelly Damfis, which, um, yeah, as well, it's just good that he's going out. I've been at a couple of Tech State uh, football press conferences and Jake Spavadol cannot stop talking about the man. You know, he has a lot of words about him. So it's it's good to see that, you know, the AD and the president are really, you know, they have athletics backs right now and they're going to help them uh, find even more success than they already have. I mean, they've already won last year they won the award i forgot what the name of the award is but it's have the best athletic department in the sunbelt conference and so it's not like they're unsuccessful but they're just going to make it to where they are more successful and yeah find more success and if you're familiar to anything about bobcat athletics uh, athletics in the past uh probably 15 years or so hasn't really got much support and uh and it's good to see finally this um this kind of this backing that that uh, we haven't seen in the athletics program in so long. So it's uh, it's amazing to see it and uh, glad to see like we we've, we've said it and harped on it. I mean, yeah, football's, you know, lagging behind. But mm-hmm. and but it's showing that the efforts are there, that they are they're They're trying to make those step forwards into into becoming a uh, a into becoming a successful program like everything else on campus. And one last thing to note uh, to notice was last night during during the attendance from um, Corio and Danfis, at the end of the game they had a ball and they gave the they gave the game ball to Coach Holman at the end of the game and it um, to me that was a good sign just to see that everybody's involved and everybody everybody's on the right track to wanting wanting winning programs and not just and not just football but athletics as a whole. And Jacob, as you mentioned, the award that Texas State one um, for being the best athletic program in the Sunbelt Conference shows that Texas State is going the right track in in basically all all aspects of sport. Well, we're going to take a quick break here, but uh, on the other side of it, we're going to go over some NFL off seasons. Before I let you go, just letting you know the next Texas State soccer game is actually this upcoming Sunday here in San Marcos, Texas at the Bobcat Soccer Complex at 730. So uh, if you're in town, be sure to go out. If not, KTSW's got you covered so stay tuned on our social media and on our broadcast for updates on that but other than that on the other side of it over some nfl off seasons but uh stay tuned you're listening to bobcat radio on ktsw 89.9 and welcome back welcome back to bobcat radio this hour-long special to kick off the fall 2022 semester uh for all the new students coming in to campus great to have you here hope you enjoy san marcus it is truly the place to be um, so yeah, let's uh, let's move on to some NFL off seasons. There's been a lot happening in the past couple months. The draft happened, free agency happened, and uh, really fall camps have started. And the NFL is only a couple weeks away, already in preseason. And I kind of wanted to go over teams that you really enjoyed their off season. You know, they could have they could have had a successful season, could have had a non successful season. But either way, they made their roster or their program just in general better, and how they did it. And um, yeah, so uh, we can kick it off. Jordan, I know you got a team that you have enjoyed uh, their moves the past couple months. Well, my team is located in one of the most beautiful places in the country with blue, clear waters, and people always flock to this state and this city. But unfortunately, they have not been flocking to the games. And that is the Miami Dolphins. And we, I think this offseason, Miami Dolphins are going to match up to where they are located. They brought in good talent like Tyree Kill, their new head coach, Mike McDaniel. He's an offensive guru. He created and led the um, 49ers run game, which we all know led them to a Super Bowl. Um, And so let's just go over some of the 
star pickups they had. Okay. They had uh, Connor Williams, Chase Edmonds, Raheem Morstert, Morstert, Alec Ingold, Cedric Wilson Jr., and then they also added another offensive lineman in Teron Armstead. Now, let's talk about the offensive line for the Dolphins. The offensive line for the Dolphins, they had they allowed the 10th most pressures in the NFL. Um, last year, I don't know if any of you sports head who are listening to BCR right now, Tua Tungvaloa kind of went through it. He had to fight through Deshaun Watson's rumors, and then he had to fight through um, Tom Brady coming to the Miami Dolphins rumors. And so he really never had a chance to – he never really felt support by the organization and by the front office because they were always looking to replace him, and he always had to answer those questions at press conferences. What I think Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel did this offseason was build an offense around Tua Tungavaloa where he will be able to have success. He'll have time to throw the ball, even without mentioning Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and um, Cedric Wilson. He will have more time to throw the ball um, just behind a more revamped um, offensive line that they built up on the left side. Um, now you add, and we talk about those offensive weapons in Tyreek Hill. We know who Tyreek Hill is. He was... One of the mainstays in the um, chief offense for years. He won a Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes with those skills. He is a great open field threat. If you get the ball to him, we'd have no idea where he's going to go, and he's going to be real quick. Did, did you see the video that the Dolphins posted of Tua underthrowing Tyree Kill? Like horribly, it's, and then they, they just kept it up? It's called preseason. Do we need to pull up the... Um, Iverson quote where he's just talking about practice that's practice yeah that's and practice. I mean hey you were talking about the having crew to have time the coaches are even saying that this is the most accurate ball that they've ever seen anybody throw period no, and and I he will be better and especially with Teron Armstead I know coming from the Saints he was he's one of the best tackles in the game and uh, it hurt to lose him but I mean he's got to a I think he's got to his backside unless to his left-handed, which he is, he is left-handed. So he's got to his front side. Um, but um, they definitely have more talent. But I, I do think a big problem that the Dolphins will have is the defense genuinely. Uh, I, th- I I do think Tua gets too much hate, however. And I do think that Tyree Kill is definitely going to uh, not really take the hate away, but uh, help him silence the hate, you could say. I think having a head coach and a front office that supports you as a quarterback is one of the most important things for your career and career development. And I think Tua Tungvaloa finally has that. So in in this AFC division where they is the hardest conference in the NFL, um, I honestly believe that the hardest com like AFC is the hardest. Yes. Or the, oh, okay. oh, okay. okay. I was like to the, the NFC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was now, like, <laughs> in their division, I, they probably have this seek. They have probably are in the second weakest division with the Patriots, the Jets, um, the best team and there's the bills and the miami dolphins to me are a clear second in that division and then i think the worst one underneath that would be the afc south with the texans the colts the jaguars um and tennessee but then i mean the afc you have a division in the afc west that has the broncos the chiefs the raiders and chargers all four of those teams if they could would make the playoffs no i don't think anybody didn't disagree with you i think it was more of we thought you said division on that one (laughs) yeah but the problem the problem is that dolphins are not winning their division because the Bills are going to win it. That's, that's clear and cut. Uh, they're a Super Bowl team. And then after that, they're going to have to battle for the three wild card spots with three of the teams from the AFC West, as well as uh, possibly the Colts could get in there, as well as teams that are like the Ravens, Ravens, Browns, and Bengals can all make the playoffs. So some of them are going to be battling for the wild card spot. All four of the teams in the AFC West are going to be battling for the wild card spot. So it's just going to be really, really difficult to see 
the Dolphins kind of uh, sneak their way in. Yeah, but you said it best. Everything, everything that you that Tua needed to to improve his development as much as he possibly could, uh, he's he's getting it, and so that's going to be the most important thing for him and the Dolphins and and uh, so far this fall and and coming up for the season. And one last thing: if this season doesn't go how I think Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel's want it. Now you know that Tua truly isn't your guy. You saw him around good talent with a revamped offensive line and um, supporting cast. And if he doesn't get it done this year, then you know you need to go find a quarterback. And you got a stacked quarterback class next season coming in, which you can you know find your franchise guy. But moving on, Kyle, I know you got you got one squad over there. Yeah, speaking of quarterbacks that got moved around, one of the bigger names in the quarterback list, quite a few of them got moved around. But uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, Russell Wilson wins this battle. The Broncos, a dangerous team last year, missed one very very important piece a quarterback and now they have that guy a Super Bowl winner somebody that knows how to perform on and off the field and uh hey man Bronco Nation let's ride Bronco country Bronco, Bronco country, country. <laughs> let's ride um you know, I, I, I you know, something out of camp that piqued my interest is that um Russell Wilson is having team meetings with the offense um offensive linemen and the wide receivers and the running backs by himself um, and I think one of the things that came out of the Seahawks when he was when his agent put out that random list of teams he would like to go to and when the rumors just really started gearing, ramping up that he wanted to get out of Seattle was that him and I can't even think of the head coach anymore of the Seattle Seahawks were not on the same Pete page. Carroll. Yeah, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll didn't want to let him lead um, meetings and have a more vocal role in the team, kind of similar to what Tom Brady's um, reasons were for leaving New England at the end of his career. So it's really nice to see that the head coach is giving Russell Wilson some more power, which is probably part of the reason why he ended up in Denver anyway. I mean, the man's a 34-year-old man so uh he 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 probably wants that uh that ability to be, to kind of be able to to take a team and take his take his offense underneath his wing and just you know uh settle in everything that he he put in his vision into their vision and uh i think that's that's a really important thing to do especially as a veteran quarterback is is be able to have your team underneath your wing to be able to kind of take it i mean tom brady's done it for so long and he's been successful with it and, and russell wilson knows how to win so uh i think that he only has good things to say to these guys and uh it's gonna be definitely a good thing but i mean we talked about it a little bit already that afc west man mm-hmm. absolutely stacked and uh if you're the broncos i mean that was the only question mark in that division and now uh, with Russell Wilson in that division it's it's going to be a very very competitive one and and uh honestly um anybody can win that division at this point it, I think that it's a it's a four-way tie it depends largely on how on how Russell Wilson plays and actually going into the season he is a favorite to win MVP which is a little bit crazy considering he's never received a, earned, even a single vote never earned, earned a single vote which that is crazy in itself but uh, I mean, he's got the weapon. He's got Jerry Judy. He's got Cortland Sutton. Um, I think both of them are going to be healthy for the start of the season. Lost Noah Fant in the trade for Russell Wilson, but I mean, they still got they got weapons, and they definitely have a defense that'll that'll help on the other side of the ball. Um, but sticking in the AFC West, I remember, uh, like we said, stacked AFC West, another team with a good off season. 
is the Los Angeles Chargers, the rival of the Denver Broncos. It should be a very competitive year, as we've already mentioned. In that AFC West, the Los Angeles Chargers were right there on the verge of making the playoffs last year when they played the Oakland Raiders, or the Las Vegas Raiders, excuse me, in week 18 of the regular season finale, where the Chargers lost that game in overtime of a score 35-32, a very aggressive coach from Brandon Staley has bought all into this defense and the chargers have got some big trades and some big extensions as first off a big notable name is khalil mack he comes in from the chicago bears as he only played in seven games last season compared to um, previous highs of 16 games throughout his career last year he had a combined 19 tackles 15 solo so not one of the best years from khalil mack but a dangerous threat as always in the defensive position so that is a notable player to watch out for meanwhile over as we stay on defense you look over at jc jackson he came from the new england patriots he played in all 17 games last year and had a career best 58 combined tackles with 44 solo tackles. Derwin James, uh, just a couple of days ago, had a contract extension for four years, 76.4 million, which is the highest average for a safety in NFL history. And another another notable player, just to keep going, is Mike Williams, as he's always a dangerous player um, for the long ball. Uh, Third-year quarterback Justin Herbert will be back uh, under center for the Chargers this year. So this is a Chargers team who last year when they needed stops sometimes struggled with it. But with this defense being revamped, uh, Derwin James, he's um, a couple years in, so looking forward to seeing what he could do with Khalil Mack. I uh, can't forget about Joey Bosa on the edge. I mean, this is a Chargers team who looks to go in on defense. They already have the uh, offensive firepower from Justin Herber, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. So if the Chargers defense can come together, this is a team who is definitely going to fight up there with the names of the Chiefs and the Bills in the AFC. I uh, think we've seen... Oh, you go. I definitely agree with that, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of Herbert. I like the Charger la- Chargers last season, but it does kind of seem like last season was supposed to be their season to jump up into that next level, and it just didn't happen. Granted, they did pick up J.C. Jackson, J- Jackson and Khalil Mack, who are both like top five at their position. If Khalil Mack is at that biz still, uh, I know he wasted a little bit, a little bit in Chicago, but. I mean, he's going to come out screaming on the other side of Joey Bosa, so that's going to help. So, it like I feel like last year was supposed to be their season to jump up, but if it's this season, and it's just a year later, and Staley and Herbert needed that other year to kind of uh, you know get their bearings, and I'd I'd love to see them battling at the top of the AFC. There's two ways to win a Super Bowl in the NFL. You have an old veteran quarterback like Tom Brady, or you go, or you go get a Russell Wilson like Denver did, or you re, you build on your rookie quarterback's contract when it's really tiny and you don't have to pay them a lot of money. And that's exactly what the Chargers did. They showed out a lot of money to Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson. They gave him a five-year, eighty-two million dollar contract, and they still have um, eighteen point nine million dollars in the cap to still go out there and go get some more talent. So it's really nice to go see the Chargers, um, Denver. And um, Miami, two fran- three franchises that aren't really known for making big splashes and aren't really known for being well-run franchises, build around 
either their veteran quarterback or their young quarterback to go try to make that push for the Super Bowl. And I think another hard thing is the Chargers are the the L.A. Rams little brothers. So uh, you bring in um, Coach Staley. It's his second year. Um, you've followed Anthony Lynn, and he's really brought a lot of aggression. Last, uh, If you all remember last year when they played the Raiders, I mean, it came down to last second. They could have just uh, ended the game with a tie, and both of them went to the playoffs. But Staley, the aggressive coach he is, he, he tried to send it all and only send the Chargers to the playoffs. So this is a team who looks to be aggressive this year, and it should be interesting to see what they can do. Certainly interesting. And, I, I mean, I, I believe in Herbert. I do think that it could be an MVP season for him as well. I mean, we were just talking about Russell Wilson, but Herbert could take that next step to become, you know, not one of the top five, but, you know, one of the top three, maybe the best quarterback in the league. But um, I'm just saying, he, he's got the talent. He's got the talent, and he's got the weapons at this point. Keenan Allen and the Mike Williams. Exactly, dude. Herbo's Herbo's good. I like Herbo. Uh, he was my quarterback last year in fantasy. Might be that. No, I'm not reaching for him this year. <laughs> <laughs> Drops to fifth round, maybe. <laughs> uh, but I'm actually gonna take it away from the AFC. Where who you got, Jacob? I know who exactly I got? Who you got? I'm taking away from the AFC, going to the NFC, going to my boys, the New Orleans Saints. And uh, I say this for a couple reasons. I I got I got it laid out. Heading into the this free agency, there was an article that came out that said uh, it was ranking each NFL team on the best free agency destination. Saints were dead last. Dead last. 32nd. Not the Jets. Not, I actually like the Lions, but not the Jets, not the Jaguars. What did this, I not the what Bears. This article took in consideration. I think it was heavily on the fact that Dennis Allen had just gotten the head coaching job. Mm-hmm. However... I think that was a great move. I think Sean Payton retires. You stay in-house. You already had a defense that was maybe top five in the league. You keep that defense together. You keep the guys, you know, like I said, you keep the staff in-house. You keep the morale good. And uh, Dennis Allen was Sean Payton's DC for three, four years, so he knows how he runs. He knows how he plays. And uh, they still have their offensive coordinator who will be taking over play calling, Pete Carmichael. So I don't think there will be even that much change on offense. You talk about that defense. I mean, you said keeping a lot of those pieces there but I mean mm-hmm. I mean you look at you picked up the Cowboys exactly. first round pick for pennies on the dollar and then you add Tyron Matthew to that list I mean come on that's uh, it's already a rock solid defense it's that's only going to get better and it, I mean they lost Marcus Williams at the beginning their deep safety got Marcus May right after who's you know just as good uh, then like you said Malcolm Jenkins retires they go out and get Tyron Matthew who is a top three safety in the league better than Malcolm Jenkins was and then as well they go out and they get Jarvis Landry along with signing or not signing drafting Chris Olave and Trevor Penning so you had this wide receiver room that last year was you know a bunch of nobodies Marquez Callaway was their number one wide receiver and now you don't even know if he's going to make the roster because he's got to fight for a spot with Michael Thomas who's back Chris Olave Jarvis Landry uh, you know, so it's just it's yeah. a huge change. And uh, like you said, building around quarterbacks, I know he's not a young quarterback, but Jameis Winston is the guy and they're they're throwing all their pennies at him and they're putting all their chips in at him. And I like it. 
Well, I, I'm not mad at Jameis Winston. I know he's known for having that 30 touchdown, 30 interception season. But to all that shows to me is that he can score 30 mm-hmm. touchdowns in a season. Now, he just got to throw it to people that are on his team. But I do think with the Saints um, program and like you said, you said that they might have put them dead last because of uh, the new head coach that came in there. I was watching um, the NFL Network. You know, they go around to all the um, camps and stuff when mm-hmm. the season starts. And one of the notable things that everyone kept saying was, it, the mood still feels the same. The camp is still being kind of ran the same. It's a bit looser um, than when I can't forget. I'm, Sean Payton. Sean Payton was there. But yeah, I think everything is like you said. They did a nice job keeping it in house. He kept most of the same staff that Sean Payton had. So I just I do think that the New Orleans Saints will have a good year this year, yeah, especially in a weaker it. NFC. Yeah, I mean that's so big that they have that they can keep that same identity. I mean, often teams you'll they'll just completely lose it in the coaching staff just because the head coach is gone. And then it's just like a completely new identity comes. But now New Orleans, they can stay with that identity and they can play with the with the type of players and the type of style that they've played for for plenty of years. Yeah, and I mean, we talked a lot about free agency and stuff like that, but you briefly mentioned it. Michael Thomas coming back. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that out of that team that you can have. I mean, mm-hmm. he is literally probably, I mean number one, number two wide receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that just being able to have him back on the team, even with all the additions that, that the Saints were able to grab, is just exponentially raising the bar for uh, that for their franchise. Yeah. And the final reason I do want to mention why I think they had a, a great offseason is that Deshaun Watson is not on their roster. They were in the sweepstakes. I'm being honest. I, they were in the sweepstakes. It was down between them, the Falcons, it was really down between them and the Falcons and the Panthers at one point. But um, and now you look at the Browns, who traded three first-round picks, a third-rounder, and a fourth-rounder. Deshaun Watson is currently earning forty-five mil- more than $45 million this year. Uh, only two players in the NFL who are making more than that are Josh Allen, MVP-level quarterback, and Matthew Stafford, Super Bowl-winning quarterback. Uh, while Deshaun Watson will play max games six. He'll play max six games this year. And then you look at Jameis Winston, who was their other idea. Don't have to give up any assets for him. He's making $30 million less than Deshaun Watson is this uh, this season. And, um, of course, you have that talent difference. But uh, Jameis Winston, I know it was a short sample size, but at the beginning of last year, he was playing the best football he's ever played in his career since coming to the NFL. So I think with him... You have all the talent coming back. Alvin Kamara, there was at one point in time where you thought that he'd miss some time, he'd get suspended, but that's looking more to be a next year kind of thing. He might get suspended next year, but this year they're not going to suspend him. So you're going to get 17 games of Alvin Kamara, and they're going to... I said said it earlier on on Twitter, but I I think that they're going to sweep Brady again in the regular season and take that division. I'm pretty confident in that. You should be confident in that. Yeah, I mean, I mean the uh, the <laughs> the offense for Tampa Bay does not look that good this year. Tom Brady's taking more time off in his career than he ever has, not because he's injured, just because. I mean, he's 45 years old. His kids are grown. He wants to go on vacation with him and his wife. Um, they also had a new head coach, similar to the Saints organized Saints situation. They, they kept in house, and their new head coach isn't just rumored to have a Dallas Cowboys job in the future, but he's in the front office now um, helping to build a team. But I don't think Tampa Bay will be as good as they've been in the past. I don't think Tom Brady's head is in it, and they don't even have the same amount of offensive weapons. And as we wrap up some NFL news, Jordan, you had the Dolphins, Kyle, the Broncos, Joey, the Chargers, 
and yours truly, the Saints. We'll see how NFL works out. As I said, preseason is in uh, is going on right now, and uh, the regular season will start in a couple weeks. But we're going to take a quick break again. But on the other side of it, we should have Marvin Nash, co-offensive coordinator and co or and recruiting coordinator. My my apologies uh, of San Marcos High School football. So uh, don't turn that knob because you're listening to KTSW 89.9. This is Bobcat Radio, and we are back at Bobcat Radio on this beautiful Friday morning. So sorry about that uh, little technical difficulties. That was uh, our music assistant, Director McKenna Wells, and then after that, one of our sports reporters, Tabby Keep, on the interview. But now we have a good friend of the show, uh, co-offensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator, San Marcos High School football, Coach Marvin Nash. Coach Nash, can you hear us? Yes, I can. All right, so glad that we were able to get you on. Sorry about those technical difficulties, but uh, how are you doing this morning? Man, I'm doing fantastic. It is the morning of our first scrimmage of the season, so I couldn't be happier. It is, it is. And why don't we just dive right into that? You got United South tonight traveling out to uh, around Laredo, Texas for that. Um, just how are you feeling? How is the staff feeling? How are the, the players feeling just about finally getting able to line up against uh, another varsity team and go at it? And I'll tell you what, we are getting annoyed with hitting one another. <laughs> we are, we're tired of seeing each other, so it's about time to hit another team. Uh, the kids are really optimistic. The coaches are really optimistic about what we have uh, rolling into this season, and we're just ready to get it going. Well, that's good to ha- that's good to hear. I-, I hope the scrimmage goes well tonight. Uh, moving on or going over this past summer, you know, just uh, overall, how has recruiting been over the summer? Any colleges coming in, looking at some guys? Uh, just how has that process been over this uh, off season? Uh, it's been fantastic. We're going into our third year here uh, at San Marcos High School with this coaching staff, and so just the evolution of our players, uh, you know, physically is great, but really what's helping their recruiting is their academic growth. Uh, we're seeing GPAs rise, and you know, the higher your GPA, the more options you have as a uh, as a, a prospect for a college football team. So uh, our kids have worked really hard on taking care of that end of it. Our strength coach, Coach Thompson, is taking care of making them strong, and our coaching staff has really poured into these young men. And you know, all that cultivates to just a, a college-ready student. That's what we're trying to build. So we talk about non-football uh, things right now. Um, what about like uh, you're the head track coach and Talk about just kind of the 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 transition from like track to football and 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 how uh, that affects like the play on the field and 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 uh, the transition between the two. And honestly, it's very seamless that transition. Uh, it's just a carryover of competition is all that track is. And the best thing about track is that you can't hide it's you versus whoever you're going against and that it's just right there for everyone to see so there's no backing down you either step up or you get beat so what i've loved about it is seeing our kids run track see themselves get faster feel confident and that carries right into spring football carries right into uh, fall camp and you know it definitely carries into the season uh we were really blessed to have a aau national champion in triple jump xavion harris he's a he's a three-sport athlete plays football basketball uh, and also is a track star. Uh, he, and he absolutely killed it in North Carolina this summer, uh, winning the triple jump, uh, being the best in the nation. So all that competition breeds for just a, a great athlete. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, Coach. And and uh, I know track is a very important thing for development in football, and especially speed on the field is uh, obviously a very important thing, especially for the offense and, and uh, defensive backs. Uh, good morning, Coach. Jordan here. 
Uh, Coach Walsh said earlier in an interview that um, the offense could was going to be pretty progressive this season and that you guys could be a bit more creative because over the last three years, as you talked about with this coaching staff, you guys have kind of laid that foundation of uh, football technique and rules. And now that you got your team is older and you guys have been here in St. Marcus longer, you guys feel like you can kind of just open up the playbook a little bit more. So what specifically have you guys added to the offense and what does a more dynamic offense do for your football team and, um, and, and you guys' ability to win football games? Absolutely. Uh, we pride ourselves on being great teachers. Our offense is very complex and it's been, it's people try to duplicate it, but it's hard to do. It's uh, it's not your traditional, you know, air raid. It's not your traditional option. It's not your slot T it's a kind of a culmination of everything. And uh, we do a lot of shifts, do a lot of motions, uh, very Steve Sarkeesian-ish uh, as far as getting the defense to line up how you want them to line up. And once our kids understand football, that was the foundation we started with, understanding football in general, then understanding uh, more in depth. We scaffolded that, le- that learning for them. And so now this complex offense is easy for them. They understand it just like the coaching staff does. And so that makes for a very dangerous team. Hey, Coach Joe Gonzalez here. Um, as we talk about this team um, starting to mesh well together, last year y'all made the playoffs, and this year y'all moved to District 27-6A with notable teams like um, Cibolo Steele and Converse Judson. Um, is there a certain game on the schedule that y'all are um, really looking forward to this year? Yes. Uh, just, you know, first to speak about that district that we just moved into, uh, the thing I like most is that there are no pushovers. There's no no weeks off. I think every team on any given Friday or Thursday night has the opportunity to beat any team. And I think that makes for great preparation for the entire district. I know definitely for our team, we're going to approach every week the same, just like we always do. But at the same time, we know it's going to be a dogfight each night, and uh, we look forward to it. I mean, competition is something that you don't run from, and so we're running directly towards it. Uh, looking at the team itself, especially in the offense, um, Ori Williams, uh, you know, getting the start, uh, went out to practice a couple of days, saw him at left tackle. A couple of times he moved over to right tackle. How has his addition to the offensive line kind of uh, kind of built that fr- foundation for the offensive line? And just how is he doing and, and just the offensive line in general, really? Uh, he's, a, uh, no, he's a very interesting kid, man. He's super athletic to be as big as he is. You know, barefoot, he's six foot eight. Uh, he he put on COVID weight like we all did, and uh, he was able to trim down about 40 to 50 pounds. And so he's the most athletic tackle I've seen in 17 years, you know, up close and personal. Uh, and so he's you know he's primed for a great year. Uh, on the other side, the uh, the opposite tackle. I mean, we have uh, Brendan Jones, who is a good 6'6", 280, 285, and he is almost equally as athletic. And so. So talking about the offensive line, last year the identity of the team was uh, more of a, a ground and pound run run offense for sure. Um, what uh, what differences in the passing offense are y'all looking to make this season from last season? Uh, well, we're blessed with a three-year starter at quarterback. Uh, Isaiah DeLeon has maybe the strong arm in Central Texas, and I'll put that up against anybody. Uh, he is accurate. He, he can move it in the pocket. He's not a statue either. 
So I think he can put the ball wherever we need it to go. Uh, we also have a tremendous receiving core led by Tony Diaz and Cutter Gage Webb, who are uh, great hands, great route runners, and mixed in with our powerful running game. Because if, uh, if you've heard of uh, John Walsh's offense, we're going to run the football. That's something that we, we hang our hat on being able to do what we have since 2005. So it's, it's the, the ball's going to get ran. But at the same time, we still open up great opportunities in the passing game when you have a quarterback that can throw it and guys can go get it. And you talk about all these wide receivers. Uh, Cutter Gage Webb, you know, last season was usually behind Isaiah DeLeon at that quarterback slot. But uh, moving to his transition to wide receiver, didn't see him much uh, as a wideout last season. So how has his transition kind of helped? And what kind of, uh, you know, what thought went into moving him to that position to for him to, you know, really blossom to the player? Well, one thing he grew. Uh, he uh, he has a brother who uh, plays for Texas State, Cannon Webb, and he's a just a remarkable slot receiver, a great special teams guy for them. Well, you know, Cutter Gage Webb now entering his junior season is a little bit taller, hands a little bit bigger, and just as athletic. So I think DNA and uh, genetics has a ton to do with it. Uh, being a coach's kid also has a ton to do with it. He can see the playbook just like I can, and we can have in-depth discussions on what we need to do uh, on offense. So, I mean, having a coach on the field is always a plus. Uh, and then just seeing that, just his competitiveness. Uh, you know, he's a tremendous baseball player. He's a Texas State baseball commit already. Uh, so he has the ability. He has the brain to do so. And it's just uh, he, he'll be our biggest asset on offense uh, for me as a wide receiver coach. Coach, heading into this um, this new season uh, for the upcoming fall, uh, what are some holes um, that you think the, stu- the team still has and you guys are going to have to fight um, through throughout the season that could kind of, you know, hinder where you guys want to go? Uh, you know, going into it, we had a bunch of questions. That's why we have spring ball, so we can answer those questions before we get to the season. And one of those questions was the wide receiver position. And again, as I just spoke with uh, Cutter Gage, him stepping up into that position and then excelling at the way he has, uh, those holes have been filled. Uh, defensively, we're bringing back eight starters. You know, offensively, we're bringing back seven to eight starters. So with that much experience with three-year starters on both sides of the ball, uh, there aren't a ton of holes. It's really the uh, the biggest thing is that We'll go as far as our coaching staff will uh, will coach our kids do. So we have to be great teachers and continue to work them hard and teach them hard every day. All right, well, I got one more question for you, Coach Nash. Uh, just thinking about the offense still, uh, looking at Jaden Brown, you know, he had, it, last season he was a safety as well as playing running back and then uh, really blossomed into one of the best running backs really in the state uh, towards the end of the season last year. Is he still going to be kind of playing that two-way kind of deal or will he be focusing on more of one position? Uh, you know, with our uh, with our guys, we train everybody to go both ways just in case. Uh, most high schools, uh, and San Marcos is no exception, uh, we all have a problem with depth. Uh, we don't have three deep at every position. Uh, so all of our best players will need to know two positions, offense and defense, and be used as needed. So uh, really, you know, knock on wood, we stay healthy. You won't have to play a whole lot of defense, but if he does, uh, he's a, you've seen it firsthand. He's quite an athlete. He can do both. Uh, so we want to prepare ourselves for any situation that, that may happen. And again, that falls in the coaching staff. We always have to be prepared to make sure our kids are ready. Well, thank you for uh, for joining us, Coach Nash. We get we hope uh, tonight goes well against United South. We hope the scrimmage is everything you want it to be, as well as uh, the upcoming season. And we hope to you know have you on the show again uh, a little bit down the line in the season. Thank you very much. I look forward to it and. 
uh, hopefully we can go out here and wrap her up. Thank you, Coach. You have a good day. Yes, sir. You too. Marvin Nash, co-offensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator of San Marcos High School football. Uh, San Marcos High School scrimmage tonight against United South in Laredo, Texas, and then they open up their season next Friday. We're going to take a, another quick break before we wrap up the end of the show today, so be sure to not turn that knob because you're listening to Bobcat Radio on KTSW 89.9. Welcome back to Bobcat Radio on this beautiful Friday morning. Uh, thank you for sticking with us uh, for this hour-long special. Hope you're enjoying that. Before we had uh, co-offensive coordinator and recruiting coordinator Marvin Nash of San Marcos High School Football. But now we're going to talk a little bit more about San Marcos High School Football. Their season's getting underway, like we said, scrimmage tonight. So let's go over, over a couple of ceilings where we think the Rattlers can go, what we think their record can be in best-case scenario this upcoming season in the new district. Kyle, you were at pretty much every game last season. Uh, what, are you, what are you looking forward to this season? Yeah, I mean, you, you listen to what Coach Nash said, and, and having a lot of your guys returning is a very important thing, especially most of them being seniors this year or very developed juniors. And uh, having that ability to, to just keep that team intact – is like I said, one of the biggest things you can do in high school football, and uh, I think that the ceiling, honestly, I mean, go undefeated, win district, and take a deep run into playoffs. I mean, you look at this district, yes, like coach said, no pushovers, but at the end of the day, every single one is a winnable opponent. And uh, I mean, obviously, you know, your biggest two, like you said, Steele and Judson, um, you know, those are going to be competitive battles, but at the end of the day, uh, you know. I think that the San Marcos team has the ability to make that step up forward into being one of the better teams in the state, especially Central Texas, and uh, and can make their way into a into a 10-0 season if if if, uh, if things go all the way. I mean, like we said, if ceiling, I think that they can burst right through it and 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 uh, go out with 10-0. Yeah, Kyle, I agree with you. I think this is a team who has seen um, some tough years in the past, but I think, um, as Coach Nash mentioned, this is a team who's finally, they got three-year returners. This is a team who finally is reaching that peak where they want to be, and I think it could be a really successful year. They just came out of that Austin district with Lake Travis and Westlake. I mean, those teams trained them to play teams like Steele and Judson, and uh, Judson, not a very successful season last year. They're usually one of the best teams in the state of Texas, so I think uh, the ceiling, Kyle, as you said, I think this could be a, an 8-2 and two or even 9-1 and one team. I think, um, as Coach Nash mentioned, it, it's going to be a dogfight every single night, so I do see one or two losses in there, but I definitely see them fighting for um, second and third. I do have Cibolo Steele to Taking the district in the end, though. Yeah, I'm saying eight and two. It's a little bit more conservative than Kyle's call, but I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a successful season. I think either Steele or Judson will get one off of them, and I also wouldn't be surprised if they just drop one in the uh, in uh, you know before district uh, games. So eight and two, it's a little bit more conservative, but still, I mean, if you get eight and two, even if you get seven and three, it's a really successful season for them, and um, I'm excited to see what they'll be able to do. I think one of the main things for the Rattlers to this season is to have a good non-district schedule. They went one and two in their um, non-district games last season, but they only have three. This year, they have a more full um, non-district schedule. They have four games, and I think if they can come out of those games 4-0, which I do think they will, based off of um, previous performances, based off those teams, I'm going to go with Jacob. I think they'll be 8-2. and two. I think the lowest that they will probably go just to get us started in that direction will probably be fourth in the district as they were in their previous one. I think the height for them is second, but the lowest will be fourth i i agree i think i think four and six is the floor 
I think they can at least get four games and, um, you know, uh, but no, really, really, if I think they can win four at the least, if everything goes absolutely wrong, it's still four and six. It's still like, a, of course, it'd be a disappointing season for them, but four and six isn't the end of the world. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, this is a this is a team. I mean, as I mentioned before, I think the Austin District was way harder than District 27, 6A. I mean, there are some teams that will that will scrap with you. Uh, New Braunfels is always there, um, fighting for a playoff spot. Shirts Clemens is always there as that three or four. East Central has been um, pretty impressive past couple of years. Um, they had a they had a pretty tight fight with East Central last year, if I remember. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is this is a team though. I think that it's this is the breakthrough season. This is the season that they're gonna. That they're gonna um, finally have a good year. I think they could actually um, take it a couple of uh, one or two wins in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, my my floor for this team, and we talked about the ceiling, ten and zero uh, floor for this team. I really don't see them losing any more than three or four games. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that non district schedule is a very very doable four and oh and then you look at your district or five I, there's five non-district games right because there's yeah there are five yeah, non-district, five non-district, non-district games, games. And so then... i think that's a it's a doable five and oh there and then you look at district and and i only really see um i once you get into district to have those last five games of the year you know things start to change and things get different um and uh, i know a lot of um a lot of the the central schools down in San Antonio may lose a lot of their players. So East Central being late on the season probably better for uh, the Rattlers there. So I think uh, floor there, three 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 losses, miss playoffs if if they're all in district. Um, and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's my floor there. Either way, it's going to be a fun season, and uh, we're going to be able to have coverage on their season, thankfully, pretty much all season. There's one game on the schedule that we will not have coverage of, but uh, go check out the Twitter and Instagram at KTSW Sports, where the broadcast schedule has been posted for the Rattlers this upcoming season. But on that point, we are about to wrap it up. But before we do, we're going to throw it over to Jordan to uh, talk to us about this, uh, you know, this summer weather here in San Marcos, Texas. All right, San Marcos, it's time for your daily weather report and your weekend weather report. For the high today will be 91 with a low of 74. There is a 50% chance of rain later this afternoon, so it will be probably be partly cloudy. So prepare for that just in case we might have a spot little rain shower like we did yesterday. Over on Saturday, there's going to be a high of 96 and a low of 76. It's going to be partly cloudy, beautiful sunshine um, and with no chance of rain. And we're heading into Sunday. We do have a chance of scattered thunderstorms with a high of 95 and a low of 76. So just make sure you prepare. Maybe you might want to keep that umbrella in your car just in case. So there is a chance of spotted showers throughout the weekend. Mention one last thing. Sunday, come out, watch Texas State soccer play, facing Incarnate Word right here at the Bobcat Soccer Complex. So uh, stay dry Sunday if it does get a little spotty in the evening, but that kickoff is going to be 7 o'clock. Be there or be square. Well, we appreciate y'all listening today to this hour-long special. Big thank you to Coach Marvin Nash of San Marcos High School Football for joining the show, uh, talking to us about their upcoming season and their upcoming scrimmage tonight uh, in Laredo, Texas. But uh, that'll be it from us, from Jacob Baromi, Joey Gonzalez, Kyle Owen, and Jordan Young. We wish you a happy Friday, a happy weekend, and we will see you on Bobcat Radio on Monday. Now let's get you to the other side of radio.